Hey, what is up, guys? Welcome to this episode of the Noble Pursuit Podcast, hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spade. And on today's episode, I am joined by Austin Stout. We dive into gut health and stress as two of the main things that hold people back in their physique development and in life. Um, we also dive into more avenues that Austin is starting to get into in terms of investing um, and life and enjoying some of the life post kind of bodybuilding, even though he still is a bodybuilder. Um, so can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Let's welcome on Austin Stout. Pretty well, but we, had to, we definitely learned a lot that peak week. I think I learned the most during yes. during that during that last week with water manipulation and sodium manipulation. So hopefully next time I do a peak, it won't be as as complicated this go yeah. around. You know, um, and I think that actually brings it to what we we're what we we're kind of going to chat about today, which is like what holds people back um, truly. And I think that these. And it goes into various biofeedback markers and everything, and I'll kind of let you go through, and I'll just ask questions along the way, too, um, about this. But the first one I kind of want you to dive into is how does, and because this was the big factor with my, with my last, with my peak, was a little bit of digestion issues mixed with a whole bunch of stress. Um, so I think the big one, ultimately for most people, is how does like stress really, really stop people from making the progress that they want to make and getting them to where they want to get to, whether that's like physical results or even like mental and getting them to change in general. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few, a few main things that you can really touch on here. Cause that's a pretty, that's a pretty expansive topic, but, Definitely. um, I, I think that based on your fur, your initial comment about um, like what holds people back, and if we if we link that idea to stress, mm-hmm. I think the the underlying theme is what people think holds them back is normally not what holds them back, and what I mean by that is people generally think that they're they're missing something. They're always missing something. You know they which they can be. I mean, we, we do get people that come in that aren't tracking the right things. They aren't, they aren't doing the looking at the right parameters, et cetera, et cetera. But we have so much access to information now. Like most people know that things like blood glucose and digestion and like all of these, all these parameters and lab work and and whatever it might be are important. They don't know how to use them. Right. Yeah. They just, they just don't know how to apply any of the stuff. And that's really where, that's really where like a lot of our conversations have come into play. And a lot of us talking about athlete cases and stuff, because you can learn about these things. I mean, you can learn about, learn about how to track and learn about how to look at labs and learn about blood glucose and HRV and heart rate and, and all this stuff. But you, you definitely have to know a, how to pick and choose your battles in terms of like what things you need to look at and when, and B, how to how to analyze things in a very logical sense, not a not an emotionally driven um, analysis, yeah. right? So stress ties into that because if we can talk about environmental stress and physical stressors and stuff too, but when we're talking about bodybuilders and people that are really hyper focused, even if they're not competitors, people that are really hyper focused on their fitness goals 
they are often hyper focused to the point of it's deleterious to their goals, right? Yeah. So, um, how, so how do you? So how do you, as like the coach too, or even just like a person, how should they go about like picking and choosing their battles over which ones to truly kind of track, or how do you like to introduce that? Because there's so many strategies that I've gone through through the years and. For some people, you know, for the bodybuilders, they can pick that up right away and be able to like track those things. But for a lot of like lifestyle people who should be tracking those things, it can be very overwhelming to kind of give them to it all at once. And you have to like work in and like you said, pick and choose your battle. So how do you go about that, especially as like a coach starting with someone to pick and choose which ones you really want to look at? That's a great question. So sometimes you need to add things in. Sometimes you need to take things away, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a really easy way to kind of look at this and these are and these are like broad generalizations but a really easy way to kind of look at it is figure out it let's say we'll, we'll go to both examples let's say the person is a competitor they or they are pretty into the this this scene They're, they are tracking things they are doing all these things right at least they think right so things that i want to look at are which of these variables do they put the most focus on, okay? So when they come in, you can see a lot of this in their consultation, whether you have a conversation with them or it's a written or whatever it might be, you can normally tell pretty quickly, okay, this person's really hyper fixated on these things and they, so for some reason they have created in their mind that these things are going to make the most difference in their results, right? Mm -hmm. It could be any number of things, man, it could be like, it could be like hyper obsessing on taking 1 million training videos and their, their, you know, mechanics on their ex and looking at their, you know, mechanics on their movements. Okay. It could be anything. So we, we need, I really like to look at which of those things they are hyper focused on and then figure out, okay, is this serving them or is this driving them to obviously accumulate stress? So once we can figure that out, we can formulate a plan as to, what things we want someone to track, how often we maybe want them to track them, or like how extensively we want them to track them, you know? So yep. maybe something like blood glucose, for example, a really common one that so many people use. Definitely. Maybe the go maybe the go isn't to track it three times a day. Maybe that's, maybe that's <laughs> right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like a really easy way to drive up your blood glucose is to worry about your blood glucose, right? Like Oh, if I'm yeah. like, man, I'm going to prick my finger now. Shit, is it going to be high? Yeah, you probably just raised it right now, you know, worrying about yeah, it, it's going to be that's, so. Yeah, that's something that I just ran into actually with, with an athlete of mine. Uh, she messaged me yesterday morning and she was like, um, I've been stressed about like my blood glucose being high. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's just going to keep driving it up and driving it further up because I bet you're waking up wondering if it's going to be high. And you can't let go of it. So what we did is like we did a strategy where hey, we just dropped it down to three times a week instead of doing it every single morning. You know, it's a simple thing of people can take things away and they're like, like, but how do I get enough data? Like coaches are, yeah. coaches are so concerned about having enough data to make decisions, but also learning. But I think a lot more can come down to learning the person than, yeah. than any way can kind of, kind of symbolize there. I'm going to say this right off the bat and people can disagree with me if they want, it's fine. But, if you if you're a coach and you feel like you need an exorbitant amount of data 
you're not you're not confident in your your skills and your ability to really read the client. You're just not. Like you got to have data. You have to have it. You have to have. You can't just work off of like, hey, coach, my week was good. I weighed 130 pounds. Talk to you next time. That's not going to work, right? You don't have anything to track. There's no trends there. There's nothing. But if you feel like if these are you're working off this massive amount of data, all you're really doing is plugging in an equation. You're like, all right, well, if it's this, it's this. If it's this, it's this, right? Like you're looking at all these numbers and that makes your decision when really there's there's a lot of there's a lot of feedback that you can work off of that's not quantitative, right? Yeah. That's not yeah. like what's that? driven data. Yeah, what's those what's those type of data points that you think people could more so use instead of always having to have a number or a blood pressure reading or a blood glucose reading like that they could go off of to really kind of make the progress that they want to make? Well, a really a really good way to think about it is when you ask somebody, you know, how was your stress this week or how was your energy or how whatever, those are those are subjective for a lot of people, right? So they if mm-hmm. They have some kind of, but they have some kind of number. Now they're basing their feedback off the number. But I'm like, well, what if I t- if I take something away? Maybe now we can actually train the person to objectively report data because they're not simply basing it off of what they're seeing on their glucometer or what they're seeing on their aura ring or their whoop band, you know. So I like having those things sometimes because people it, it can help build like an initial awareness around yeah you're stressed here's here's some data to show you that right yeah but in too high of amounts you know too much of that will obviously give us the reverse effect and start continuously driving up more stress so you know sometimes taking things away does help build more awareness around actually having to objectively report how you feel. So, you know, um, something that I like to do with a lot of people is even simple things like, Hey, go back and reread your update to yourself before you send it. How do you feel about what you wrote? Because a lot of time people just word bomb it, right? Mm-hmm. They're yeah. kind of like, Oh, I'm updating coach today. I'm updating coach today. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Right. Or they're like, shit, this morning sucks. I'm in a bad mood. I'm updating coach today. Here, my update sucks, blah, blah, you know, whatever. And it doesn't really give you, for one, it doesn't really give you a scope of the week because one, they're probably, their updates probably really biased towards how they felt that morning when they updated you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or how their check-in players looked. Yeah. So they're like really biased towards that one moment in time and you're missing a lot of what that week looked like. And then two, um, it's again, it's a very like emotionally driven thing. They don't really go back and look. I mean, like I do it with myself. I get a, I get an email or, or a message or something where I'm like kind of frustrated, you know, maybe I don't answer it right that second because what if my response is, is not fair. What if my response is emotional? So sometimes I'm like, all right, man, I got to take a step back. I need to think about this logically and break this down. And I've made that mistake before where I just go right in and answer it out of frustration. And then I miss some things or word things the way I don't want to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So those, you know, there's, that's one tool, right? 
Other tools, I mean, there's simple stuff like people can journal, people can write things down, people can write notes like how did I feel, how did I feel here, go back, reference it, and, and see those trends over time. Um, but a lot of it with a lot of that like non-quantitative data is really the coach reminding the client and reinforcing, you know, reinforcing those things to like you and I talk about is to build awareness around it. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. if I point, if, if I don't point it out, if I just say, yeah, this was not a good week. Uh, we really need to lower your stress. That's driving up your blood glucose and you're bloated because you're stressed and you know, whatever, then that doesn't really give them any type of skill set to work with and B, it doesn't really give them any direction. Um, no, if you just, if you just tell someone to lower their stress, like, what is that? Like, you know, yeah, they don't even know why yeah, like they're, even stressed. My, they're stressed. Yeah, yeah like even my like my coaching style now, and it's been and it's been like developing along the way. A lot of things like I let athletes like figure it out, like kind of like educate them, but I let them like figure it out along the way. Like you know what I mean? Like they start to yeah. become you build that awareness after that education aspect, because when you educate them, they're like, oh, then they start applying themselves and that's really where we're trying to get clients and athletes to to a point where they can fully like trust in themselves and i feel like that's when biofeedback and progress really starts to really starts to go for a lot of people is they don't get so attached to that information they kind of take it as a an awareness factor and they perceive it yep and then they just move on and there's like yep. that's that's where it is. I think so many people make emotional attachments to these to these data points. That that's where yeah, a lot of the stress really comes from. After it's, all, and it translates to everything. I mean, it translates to functional health. It translates to physique, progress, fat loss, all that stuff. Because um, we get we really they really just get caught up in like wanting to find an answer or something to identify with. You know what I mean? It's um, like lab work. It's like lab work. Everyone. I, I've, I'm, I've had this thing where, and I've learned this from you and a few others, where yes, lab work is great. It tells us some things, and it gives me proof, right? It gives me proof to say if something's right. off, here is yep. here is the issue. But I think a lot of people and a lot of myself included, and this is something that I'm growing from, is I don't particularly become attached so much to lab work anymore, like numbers, because it's a point in time. Right, mm -hmm. it's like a reference point in time, especially something like cortisol. It's such a reference point in time to how that person like woke up. Like if they woke up in a shitty mood, like you said, like things are going to be off, like on that lab work. Like as much as you think it's going to be good, it won't be. <laughs> um, so it's just like, how does that person's like biomarkers, like the ones that they subjectively put, how do they go compared to what we're seeing? And I think this goes in like opposite ways for a lot of people because some people don't have that awareness so they think they feel good. And then you have the lab work that shows you there. But sometimes that lab work doesn't accurately meet the, where the person's at right now and the progress that you're seeing. Because I think that's where a lot of people like stall their progress is they try to do one or the other and they don't balance that enough where yeah. like the lab work's just a guide, simply. Like how do you actually feel? compared to it and are are most of the things in the right direction do we need to clean up one or two of these things most likely or most likely it's just like let's learn the person 
I think that's that's ultimately where I've come to because I've talked about gut issues and healing a lot of people's gut issues. I was like, yes, you need a protocol. May need a pro- you may need a protocol, but a lot of times it's just like actually working the person and figuring out their life and helping them guide them down that path of just taking taking down stress can, can do a can do a good bit of work there in terms of things. And you've probably seen that too, where half the time you probably don't even need to run a protocol or half the time people don't even like need that. They just need, they need a support factor or someone to take like that decision-making off of them from making them like having to do all of it themselves. Yeah. And there's, and this is, this is still stress related, but um, we were kind of talking about like biofeedback markers and things like that. But on the, in the realm of, lab work and functional health and, and those types of areas. And I mean, it's bodybuilding too, is I had mentioned identifying with things or, or, um, wanting to label things. Mm -hmm. So I actually, as a coach, one of the things I do is I don't label a lot of stuff intentionally because if I, and it's not like I'm not giving something a name. It's just that I'm not, I don't want to victimize somebody, right? Exactly. I don't want to mm-hmm. handy, I don't want to handicap my client because they have SIBO or they have estrogen dominance or they have high blood glucose or whatever it is. So when I get these results or I see these, see this data or, or symptoms, I'm like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's probably why it's happening here's, you know, here's what we're going to do about it. And I, I don't want to make it a huge ordeal. You know what I mean? Like one of the, one of the big things about coaching is your clients feed off of your emotions and that goes both high and low. If you're a negative person, if you're giving a lot of negative reinforcement, if you're, if you're like, um, very, defensive, you know, like if you're very like defensive to your clients when they mm-hmm. talk about things, um, place like gaslighting your clients, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, that's I mean, the clients kind of feed off that. And on the opposite side of that, if you're like the super duper hype train all the time, what, mo- you know, what goes up must come down. Right. Yeah. So you, you know, you have to find you have to find a balance of being realistic with the client, encouraging them and being positive, but also not handicapping them um, because they're going to feed off of, they're going to feed off of your, your feedback and, and your emotions. So, um, going can back I ask to that. You, can, I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How did, how did you find that balance? Because I think this is something that new co- that new coaches run into and I've run into myself where you start to get those results and you start to hype them up. You start to hype them up, hype them up, hype them up, and then something happens, and you got to know when to like not be the cheerleader. So like you've been doing yeah. this a long time, and like in the beginning, I assume you were probably like that too, where you were starting to get results and you were on your high horse, right? And you were, hey, but excited. like how did you how did you learn to balance, find that balance? Because I think that's what coaches kind of struggle with is finding is because most of the times, at least my personality is I'm always such like a kind person. That yeah. it's very hard to to hear when I have to tell you to pull back or be that not be that cheerleader. So how did you find that balance there, like during your journey as a coach? Yeah. So I'll be honest. I I was somebody that 
and even to this day, I mean, I don't particularly like conflict with clients. Like, I don't know a lot of people that like conflict with clients. Anyhow, I don't know why you would, <laughs> right? I know some people live for conflict. I mean, look at social media. They like to argue with people. Oh, but, yeah, um, all the time. But that's that's not really my my persona. So, of course, I was the type that would be overly positive. And when you're overly positive all the time, sometimes you you maybe aren't as realistic and you don't give them some of the bad news that you should give them or some of the, I don't know if bad news is the word I want to use, but you know what I'm getting at. So, mm -hmm. so I had to find, I just basically had to like, look at, look at these ebbs and flows of the clients and see like, man, if I'm, if, if I hype these, hype these things up and we crash, a lot of that comes back on me too. You know, a lot of that's coming back on me as the coach. I'm setting expectations um, that maybe aren't realistic. I'm, you know, not being completely honest with the client. They don't know what to expect maybe because I, I overly hyped something, but I missed out on giving, you know, I missed out on saying, but there's still work to do, right? Like yeah. what's the letdown? Where's the letdown, right? It's uh, I mean, contest prep, great example, man. Like, find me somebody that did their first show and didn't crash and burn afterwards. I mean, there's not a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah, that, exactly. and you can definitely, that's a hard, that's a hard, you know, transition to make, but as a coach, you can definitely lessen that, you know, lessen the, 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 I guess, downside of that process by preparing them, by being realistic with them, by letting them, giving them maybe examples of other clients or other things that have occurred, um, having a game plan, um, you know, and, and setting those reminders. So, so for me, I had to screw up, you know, I just had to screw up a few times to figure out, to figure out where that, you know, where that line was at. But now, you know, now I feel like, um, I feel like one of the reasons that a lot of people, the, the folks that I work with really like working with me is because I do give positive reinforcement, but I always give them, but I'm always realistic with them. Always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are afraid to be, I'll tell you why a lot of people are afraid to do that with their clients because they think that if you don't constantly hype them up, that they're going to leave and they're going to go to somebody else that's going to do that. Right. And mm -hmm. one out of every, you know, whatever number of clients, like there's a very small percentage of people that definitely going to thrive off that. They're probably going to have a short shelf life in fitness and competing and everything. Anyhow, you know what I mean? Yep. Or they're just going to crash and burn and come back to you and realize that you were the only person that actually cared about them. But most of the people just see that as you caring. You know, and that's what I constantly reinforce is like, Hey, I'm not telling you this to be negative or pessimistic or anything like that. I'm just telling you this because I care about you and I want to make sure that we are hitting these small goals, but we're also keeping the big picture in mind. And I want this to be long and prosperous and you to continue to either sustain your results or get new results or, you know, whatever it is, work towards your goals. So, yeah it has to come from a place of caring. It's not like me saying, Hey, post show, if you eat, if you eat off plan, you're going to ruin everything. It's the stupidest thing you can do. Blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to say, Hey, you know, I want you to have a successful off season. 
if this is how we need to execute that, you know, these are the problems I typically see. Here's how we can, here's how we can avoid it. It's going to be tough, you know, like it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but between the both of us, if you're honest with me and I'm honest with you, we'll make it somewhere. We'll make it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's something that, and you saw it with your own eyes when we were, because we did a recap of the prep that I went, that I coached through. Yeah. And that's definitely like the biggest thing that I probably learned through that whole thing is when, when do I got to barrel down on someone? Yeah. And when you got to get down. Cause, it's hard. Cause I mean, I could go through it. I can go through it real quick. Cause I don't think I've ever said it on any podcast. I mean, we dug my athlete pretty fucking hard. I mean, he was doing like a thousand calorie days going into the final few weeks there to really get that last bit of fat off. And it's just like, it's like, fuck, it's like, holy shit. It's like, you're actually doing it right. You never thought you put a male at 160 pounds on a fucking thousand calories, like at one point, because so many people are so fed that you, that you shouldn't do that. And that's where it's like, you know, and that was one thing that I've tried to break, like as like a, as more like a functional health coach or who has learned so much of functional health is actually learning to take a step back in during those scenarios. And, and that's something that I've learned in general with a lot of people, females, you have to be a bit more like into it, especially if you're like just dieting them, you have to be a bit more cautious with things, but for males, you can dig, like you can dig pretty hard and you can, I mean, you can even dig females pretty hard. You have to know the repercussions of it. But the one thing is, is like, and this is something that stuck with me when my friend told me is, you know how to push them pretty hard. The goal is, is not knowing when to push them hard. It's knowing when and how to get them back after sure. pushing them hard. Because sure. I think that's, that's always the struggle point, which is always like the reverse diet after it is getting them back to where they were getting them back to baseline is always the more difficult aspect of things because of the mental battle that's going on inside. And so, yeah. so that's a skill that's not really taught, but it's, it's always been a, that was like the most interesting thing I've learned about in, in my prep was actually like pushing someone that far because that was, cause you get really uncomfortable doing that for the first time. And like, it's, it's just an interesting process to see it happen. Yeah. And that's, now. and that's where, that's where having the knowledge of functional health and having the knowledge of prep and having the knowledge of fat loss and all those things come in handy. You, I mean, if you really want your client to have a long, prosperous career outside of the genetically few that are gifted, you, you've got to know, you know, because if you really look around, if we, if we had some actual statistics on what the turnover rate is on people, it's, it's horrendous, yeah. man. Like they're like, yeah. A lot of people don't don't have a very long competitive shelf life. A lot of people don't even a lot of people don't even have a very long shelf life in any type of fitness goal, any like larger fitness goal other than like, hey, I want to go to the gym and and you know feel okay. Um, why do you why do you think that why do you think that is? Like, is it just from the over dieting and like and like doing that, or is or is it more like kind of like there's like a pressure on it? Because I find with a lot of athletes is they put a lot of pressure on themselves when at least I see it is they put a lot of pressure on themselves because they think like we're putting a lot of pressure on them when it's just like made up in here over how much we're thinking about it. Like, I think that's where, you know, a lot of athletes like trust you, right? It's because you're very calm. 
Like you're very calm and very like stoic in the way that you go about things. So like, there's no reason to kind of worry about it. But I think that's why a lot of people get burnt out is more they kind of succumb to like the pressure of, of other people or expectations of what others want of them. Yeah, they're, they, well, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely too worried about what other people are doing or, but, and I'm going to be, I'll tell you, like most of what you see is very surface level, you know, like you Mm -hmm. can't, you certainly can't go on social media or even talk to somebody on a surface level and, and really understand what their, their long-term outlook is going to look like. That's the whole turnover thing, you know, Mm -hmm. female competitors, especially because if you really, if you just went on social media, all you're going to see is so, you know, these people are lean and they're competing and they're doing good and I'm super hyped about it. Right. Uh, Okay. Well, before and like, and I've always said this, like before and afters are cool and prep is cool, but what is after the after that really (laughs) tells me that is really the telltale of good coaching, um, good client in terms of listening. Um, that's where, you know, that's what matters because I mean, I don't know a lot of people that are just gonna, there's a lot of people that just do one show and that's fine. But I would say most people have aspirations to probably continue on and and get better. Same thing with their, same thing with their fat loss goals and their muscle growth goals and stuff. A lot of people have aspirations to continue to advance and so going back to that like overhype thing and unrealistic expectations and poor communication with the coaches, um, not thinking steps ahead. Coaching is like chess. It is not like checkers. It is like chess. I mean, if I can't, I can't predict everything. You can't predict everything. But if I, you, over time, you can you can definitely see several steps ahead as to what is probably going to happen and in turn prevent a lot of the downsides that are, you know, that are going to occur. But if you're not realistic with your athlete, if you're not realistic with your client and you just want to get them from point A to point B as quickly as possible, you know, I mean, don't expect a whole lot after that. Um, yeah. Cause then we'll go, cause then we'll probably go into what, what stops people from really progressing in terms of things, whether it's physical or mental, which I think, it's not even sleep. I don't even think sleep second. I think it's stress and then it's digestion. I think digestion is always the second one out of it all because stress is normally the cause of digestion. So it's like, that's usually the thing that takes it. And it's really hard to get people to change. Like digestively, it's very easy to change someone's diet. But like, like I said earlier, like I've been able to kind of, I'm able to find a system that works for people to get their digestion working without having to do like a whole bunch of things. And I yeah. think it's really simple for a lot of people. So just in your case, kind of at least kind of explain hormonally a little bit, um, whether you want to go down the male route or the female route, I find it's always, I feel like it's more common down the female route here over how digestion really kind of F's them over, if I really want to say. Um, so if you kind of want to go over like hormonally, just a little bit, learn, let people like educate on how does that, how does digestion kind of, work on the body when it comes down to hormones, especially like on the female aspect. Yeah, I know um, a lot of people, I guess now, you know, they're like, Austin's the digestive guy. I talk about hormones a lot, but they, but the reason I kind of 
the reason I talk about digestion a little bit more than hormones is because, as you said, it is often the driver, right? Mm -hmm. And it's chicken or the egg thing, you know? So yep. the, the issues we're running into, it, at least on the female side, can be, can be pretty vast, but from a hormone standpoint, you know, anytime that we have a restriction in the digestive process, slow motility, you know, uh, bacterial overgrowth, anything like that, we're probably going to slow down the process of hormone metabolism, right? Yep. So if we look at the most common issues that we see in female hormones, which are probably low progesterone, right? Stress, cortisol, et cetera, et cetera. Estrogen dominance, right? And probably thyroid, probably hypothyroid, right? Yep. Um, well, the progesterone piece, I mean, you know it as well as I do. The amount of females that come in that are, that have a good progesterone level is just not like, like, <laughs> I've seen zero, zero. Like I've run, I've run plenty of lab work, and I've seen zero with with yeah, a progesterone of like even over like a one. It's so yeah. rare nowadays to see that. Right. So we we know that that's there, and then and then we're so we're slowing down that process, and then we're further imbalancing the estrogen progesterone ratio by recirculating estrogen back into the body constantly because our gut mm -hmm. and our liver are sluggish, and you know, I know you had been in the, the histamine class and thyroid class, and I was talking about how estrogen is also driving histamine. Histamine in this inflammatory immune process is also driving estrogen. So now we are, we are producing more estrogen. We are recycling more estrogen. And that's why when we look at lab work, we, our hormones, you know, we could have crashed testosterone. We could have crashed, you know, um, crash progesterone and that estrogen can still be like a 300, you know? Um, so we're dealing with, we're dealing with these hormone environments that are, that are just super skewed. Um, and then over time, that's obviously going to play into play into things like metabolism. It's going to play into mood, right? Think about menstrual cycle, right? In a normal menstrual cycle, we have certain periods during the cycle where estrogen's going up, coming down, progesterone's going up, coming down, so on and so forth. Mood changes throughout the cycle, right? Because serotonin and dopamine and these chemicals are reacting to the hormones. So if we're like in this perpetual state of this perpetually high estrogenic state all the time, well, how do you think you're gonna feel, right? So now we have mood imbalances, okay? So what does the mood imbalance do? Well, the mood imbalance makes you feel like shit. When you feel like shit, guess what? You're more stressed again, right? So you, it's it's like having a stomach ache. Like when you have a stomach ache, you're not you're not in a good mood, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's, so, so yeah, I mean, from a hormone perspective, we're we're most of the issues revolve around hormone metabolism being slow, um, and sometimes overproduction of of estrogen. Um, and then also sometimes like binding of hormones because we have total hormones and free hormones. So sometimes we're having too much binding or not enough binding going on. And yeah, I see this a lot of males. I see this a lot. Yeah, of males. I see that I mean, one, that one, that one happens way often more in males. 
than it does any that I see anywhere else. For, for sure. I mean, you know, it's a, a great example is uh, is like guys that use PEDs and like, oh, I got to have my aromatase inhibitor. I'm having estrogen issues. I'm like, well, you also have you also have horrendous GI function. So did you ever think that maybe you're just not metabolizing your hormones very well, you know? And that's why you have estrogenic issues. So, you know, that's why, again, like we're focusing on the gut so heavily and liver detoxification so heavily on the front end with a lot of these clients, because if we can get things moving, they can get rid of the hormones and quit recycling them. And now we can create a more normal environment without even really doing anything because we have these tools, you know, we can use Chase Berry to raise their LH. We can, you know, we can use them to change their estrogen metabolism. We can use like, you know, detoxification products, like all those things definitely expedite the process. But if we can't, if we can't get rid of anything, you can cram in as much, as many supplements as you want. It's like, it's like doing a, it would be like doing a SIBO protocol and taking a bunch of antimicrobials and killing bacteria, but not shitting. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah. you gotta, like, we've gotta get rid of, we've gotta be able to get rid of things. And that's why digestive motility and liver detox and all those, those areas are, are so important. Yeah. And where are you, and like, you've taught me this really well, like kind of like where to start with people. And I find that number one, like we talked about the protocol, you brought up the protocol. You have to be in the right place to even do a gut protocol in the first, and like just to, to do that number one. I think it's the one thing that I went to for, for a good bit. And like for some SIBO athletes, like first thing I did was like, I was like, okay, what protocol do we use? Okay, look at, look at Austin's information that he gave me. Okay, what do we run? But you got to have the person in like the right place to do that, right? Like I think that's where a lot of things go wrong for a lot of people is they want to stick those supplements in there and they're not going to do anything anywhere. Or, or even worse, what I actually have been seeing a lot of, and I mean, it's a great tool. It's fortunately, it's easily, it's more accessible here than it ever has been. Even like HRT use starting in like mid twenties. I'm like, do you really need to do that? Or are you, or do you need to just fix your gut health? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's what I continually see too as well. So like, how do you start with athletes when it comes down to improving, improving that motility and getting them to actually like go and excrete and, and get things working in the direction that it should be before you even run like a protocol? Okay. So if we, if let's, let's assume, you know, we're not, we haven't done a GI map We're you know, nothing. We're kind of just, just baseline person's kind of backed up. Fair. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one thing we can do is look at the diet. So first, first issue that I'm probably looking at is like, what kind of, what kind of microbial diversity are we creating with the diet? Okay. So what happens a lot of time is people are pretty restrictive because, you know, they're bodybuilding. So they're only going to eat X number of foods, whatever. Um, yeah. or they're restricted because they have, they feel like they have a lot of food intolerances, so they can't eat many foods. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I need to find ways to diversify the diet and feed, you know, feed different areas within that microbiome 
and create microbial diversity. So when I say microbial diversity, I mean we're not just feeding like bad bacteria. So we need to have we need to have things in the diet that are going to feed everything. So we are very conditioned now to use uh, like low FODMAP diets a lot and stuff. And I, I've even seen people where they don't really know much about GI health, but they're like, hey, I've been running this low FODMAP diet for, I don't know, for eight months. And it, it did help my symptoms at first. And now I'm still running it, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, okay, well now we have basically taken all of your commensal bacteria, all your normal bacteria and everything's just wiped out, right? Like you're not digesting yeah. food. So we still, we still need diversity within that diet. The second thing would be probably um, setting up like a macronutrient ratio, I guess would be a one that's probably pretty important. Um, if we look at motility, you know, we know that, you know, fat can slow down digestion, um, protein's a little more complex to digest versus carbohydrate, et cetera, but also just food selection of the diet. So like, I like to make, sometimes with people it's like, just make the diet really easy to digest, you know, using foods that are gonna move through pretty quickly, instead of using steak three times a day or two times a day, maybe that digests very slowly, let's get away from animal fats for a while and let's use monounsaturated fats, let's use MCTs, let's use things that move through quickly. Let's use carbohydrate sources that are very easy to digest. Um, if we look at like medical, like the medical side of this, there's something called the elemental diet, which they've used for things like SIBO. And what they do is they basically, the premise is like pretty much taking a, like a, a pre-digested diet that is just micronutrients, like amino acids, carbohydrates, things that basically require little very, very little digestion. So sometimes yeah. on the front end, doing something similar to that and, and helping move the motility through is going to A, start getting rid of some of the bad stuff, B, you know, make them less constipated. And if we're also adding in a little bit of variety within the diet, we can start to diversify that. So those, those are like, nutrition type stuff, but of course there's a whole bunch of routine and environment things that we have to take into consideration. Um, you know, common mistakes or things that people can change like meal frequency, for example, um, too high and too low, um, you know, digestion will overlap as the day goes on. So of course, if you are eating, you know, a super high meal frequency throughout the day and you're not digesting any food, you're going to be backed up halfway through the day. Or on the flip side of that, if you're someone that likes to hoard calories and eat them and like, well, I'm really hungry at night. I'm like, yeah, you're really hungry at night because you don't, you hoard all your calories for nighttime. So like you don't eat during the day that much, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, you're so how do you, so how do you coach a bodybuilder then who has to like, you know, eventually you have to work up and you've worked up to a lot of food before. And I mean, you've even had your own gut issues trying to like do that probably. Um, well, I think everybody has some sort of gut issue. Ultimately, I think, I think it's so common. Like it's just how to, what extent do you have it? Right. And then those things like those lifestyle factors start to catch up because this is something that I ran into my last off season is I started getting kind of like complacent with eating meals. And you get to like 30 minutes before bed and you like eat your last meal, like right before bed. And you're kind of, 
you're kind of effed for the next morning because you don't give your body because your body doesn't have time to break down that meal whatsoever and it tries to do it during the sleep which you just get poor sleep so how do you especially when you worked up calories so much um to a point where meal frequency had to come up um how do you nail that for someone or make sure like it's like hey we have to be really cautious here over how we spread these meals out because if we run behind on one day that can really start to kind of add up fairly quickly for sure so so first off there's definitely a difference between being full from eating food and having a digestive issue so that's kind of important to <laughs> decipher you know yeah can you decipher that for people because i think there's there's yeah. a lot of people don't know how to distinguish that <laughs> yeah i mean you know typical SIBO that's pretty pronounced. Like these people are often waking up bloated. They bloat when they drink water. You know what I mean? They, they have, they have a lot of irregularities, a lot of bowel irregularities and stuff that are pretty noticeable being full three quarters of the way through the day because you've, you're eating 6,000 calories is not necessarily the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. so food selection, food selection is going to come into play big time here. I think people are, people are pretty married to like, you know, I need to eat, you know, my fruits and veggies and, and continue to, and continue to have the micronutrients and stuff in the diet. I'm like, man, it's pretty easy to get enough micronutrients in your diet when you're eating five or 6,000 calories. I mean, I don't have to eat, you know, four pounds of fruit every day, you know, like the yeah, I have to, I have to ask because, because I feel like you get it through, like, at least when I look in your stories and things like that, um, if people follow Austin, you do a diversity, like a, like a, a really diverse selection of like animal proteins, you know, like you're using like liver and like heart and things like that. Like, I don't think a lot of people think about that when it comes down to making sure you're getting your micronutrient intake, they all just think fruit and veggies, right? And they don't yeah. think proteins can actually provide that if you need to. Yeah. I mean, proteins and starches, I mean like, like white rice and Jasmine rice digest really good, but it doesn't really have anything in it, you know? Um, yeah. I use that type of thing, of course. Like I, I think it's a great, I think it's a perfectly fine as a carb source. Most people tolerate it pretty good. You can eat a lot of it, but what if, what if we ate, you know, quinoa, or what if we ate some something that like some potatoes with skins on them that have some micronutrients? You know, like, mm -hmm. like there's a lot out there that you can explore. You can, if you get away from just eating chicken, and just eating, you know, egg whites. You know, you can you can get a lot of micronutrients within a diet by adding things like organ meats, by using enough whole eggs, by using different parts of the animal, you know, um, that that like uh, what are the, the primal people would call it, like the head head to tail approach or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, all what those things are secret. Well, I mean, that's like a hidden secret to even like figuring out some issues too, like with like functional issues. I think that's a big, like, that's a tool that I've kind of learned to use from some other people and from you and another, a few other coaches is like, Hey, if you're having liver issues, why don't you try eating liver? Like, cause most likely you have a micronutrient like deficiency in some sort of like B vitamins or Hey, maybe you have an iron issue. Maybe the best thing is to not use it. Well, for me, at least personally, I would not go with an iron supplement right away. I'd be like, okay, let's add in like a spleen supplement instead or a spleen or even or even try to get someone to kind of like add that in i i know a bunch of people are going to think like oh you're a weirdo for making people like eat spleen and i'm like no i don't do that but i'm like if someone's up for it 
I gladly would implement it because it's pretty it's pretty like bio bio available compared to like actually sure. like trying to take it in from different sources, you know. Yeah, so you this is where the primals are right in terms of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you look at if you look at micronutrients in foods, I mean you would probably be pretty disappointed in the in the typical bodybuilding diet, you know. Yeah. Like you'd be it's gonna be a letdown. There's not a lot not a lot going on there. Um, and so something that I like it, it kinda catches people off guard sometimes when if, if I send them nutrition plan and there's and there's a bunch of stuff on there. Cause I I tend to not go super exotic with people's plan just because of accessibility and cost and stuff. But yeah. But, you know, there might be, you know, meal one might have two carb sources, two or three protein sources, um, options, right? And it yep. might have, you know, three uh, fruit sources, okay? I might do the same thing in meal two, but I might switch them a little bit, you know? So, and I'm encouraging them, like one of my non-negotiables is you have to rotate stuff. You know, like I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to rotate stuff every day because people like to pre-plan meals and they have a, a life and a job and stuff. But hey, maybe every week, you switch out this one for this one, or you switch out this one for this one, or every few days, or whenever you prep your food. Um, and that way you don't have a fridge full of stuff that's going bad, right? But but to that point, if you looked at, if you looked at the micronutrient profile of most typical bodybuilding or fitness diets, you would be, you would be very underwhelmed, you know? Yeah. So. yeah chicken and egg whites has so much nutrients in it, you know? Yeah. And there's like, dude, there's nothing wrong with any of those foods. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with eating the typical stuff. It's just, you have to get outside the box a little bit. Um, and palatability goes a long way for, you know, a oh, long way towards, yeah. um, towards digestion as well. Because I Fun, fun fact for me, last off season with Mark, and this is where I effed up greatly, is I did like the same five meals for the whole like 19 months. <laughs> like I kind of like refused to kind of go off the trail. It. And I'm like, this year I learned to diversify a little bit when I had to and make different plans that worked for me at the time. And I think that's always like a learning experience for a lot of people. Um, but it's necessary. Like people want to rely on like free meals. I'm like, you could do so much with different sources of like fruits and veggies and, and like carb sources, like you said, that you can, you can go a long way without having to get pretty tired of the diet and still hit your calories. Like when it comes down, I feel like when it comes down to where you were at, probably a lot of it was more probably like rotating like fat sources where if like if someone's eating like 7,000 calories, well, you're going to be slamming in 400 grams of rice mostly in those meals, like however you want to do it just because that's like the easiest that's going to digest. But I think for a lot of people, they struggle with that, that aspect of that, of diversifying because they want to be so like regimented with things and that they don't, like you said, they don't build up that, that gut microbiome as much as they could with things. And then they try to just use like kimchi as like a diversifier or something like that. And they're like, well, that's it for me. Right. I'm like, there's so many better things to do there. In terms if you of looked at, so like if you looked at um, culturally, so if you looked if you looked around culturally and looked at digestion, um, you can see there's some statistics on like different intolerances and stuff. Like they, I believe the statistic like African Americans have more lactose intolerance, and there, there's some different statistics on things like that. 
But what you would probably notice from from like an, uh, an evolutionary standpoint is that certain cultures have the ability to digest certain things better probably because they've eaten those things, right? Yeah. Or, or, or they haven't eaten those things, like whatever it might be. So if you, you can kind of create that within yourself by diversifying your diet and now, you know, you're not going to feel like crap every time you have something off plan, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and so that's just easy stuff. I mean, that's super easy stuff you can do. And it's not, again, you don't need 43 different foods in your, in your plan, but you can, but you can definitely find basic stuff that you can get at any, any grocery store or any supermarket and create a plan that has a good amount of diversity in it. Dude. I mean, even clear down to clear down to like later stages of contest prep. I still, I still, try to keep some of that in there as long as I possibly can until of course things just get really low calorically. And you, have to, you have to go with the white fish and you have to go with the white, you gotta go with that. Like when you were eating like 1400 calories, I bet your shit was not pretty diverse at that point. Nah, you know? I mean, you don't have, I don't have a whole lot of options, uh, you know, a whole lot of options at that point, but we're talking, we're not talking super long periods of time, of course, but no, if, no if you know, you gotta be able to, but 90% of the year, you should be You're able good. to, yeah, you should be able to, to have different foods and, and be perfectly okay with it. It's like I said, when I send people plans, sometimes they're like, man, I really like such and such food. I haven't eaten this in years. Like I, you know, I, like they didn't know that they could eat uh, a kiwi or something. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, dude, I put that in everyone's plan now. I put you know, like a kiwi in like, everyone's. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you want good digestive health? Eat a kiwi. Like, legitimately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I didn't eat know. Right. They're like, I didn't know I could, you know, eat whatever X Y Z food that I have in. I mean, I put, I put all kinds of stuff in people's plants. You know, yeah. there's, and I'll be honest, like I'm not. I don't really like a lot of stuff. I like, a, I do like a lot of stuff. But I'm not super, when it comes to like meats and stuff, I'll eat whatever. I like all that stuff. Yeah. I'm a little more picky when it comes to like the, uh, fruits. I struggle because I've never really liked, I think it's more of a texture thing with a lot of them. Um, Interesting. So I have found a lot of stuff that I do like. And, and that's coming from someone that's always been pretty picky in that regard. But if you walked into any grocery store and you looked at the fruits in there, I bet you 90% or maybe not 90%. I bet you 75% of that stuff you've probably never touched in your life. Oh no. Mm -mm. But why not? You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I find what works. I'm a big berry guy. Like, yeah. They're like, well, what is a, they're like, well, what is a, what is a turnip? I'm like, well, it's a root vegetable, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, what if you ate it? I'm like, what would happen if you ate that turnip? They're like, they're like, I probably don't like it. That's what, that's what I always get. They're, they're always like, I don't like it. And I'm like, cook better. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. you would actually like it. But, um, so I kind of want to, kind of want to get to a few questions here. A few quick hitters okay. over for you. Um, so what's the plan for you? Like in terms of next steps for bodybuilding, you know, we saw you get what, what were you top, top six, top seven in your class? Uh, yeah, I got seventh at nationals. Yeah. Well, what's the, so what's kind of the, the game plan for you in terms of things? Man, I'll tell you, I, I have a couple, a couple possible routes that I can go and I haven't, 
it's going to kind of depend on what the rest of this off season, what like this next growth phase or so looks like. Yep. One option is I compete maybe around next year and just do another national show. If that doesn't happen, I would venture to say that I would probably wait until I turn 35 and just do masters <laughs> nationals or, and then notice beat someone because you're just crazy conditioned because you'll just be crazy conditioned at that, at that point in time. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a good man. Route, to take. It's a good route to take. That's a smart way to it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely an option. I have no delusions. Like I'm not, I was, I was never delusional that I was just going to like walk in and win nationals or anything. It wasn't, but I, no. when I did, when I did nationals last year, it was really kind of a, a litmus test to see if I got the shit kicked out of me. All right. I don't have, I'm not even close enough to, to probably get there. You know what I mean? You're, you're at I, this point where you're like, you're at the point where you don't have anything more to prove, right? Like you're kind yeah, of like, okay. you're at that age where, you know, if you set yourself up as a coach and everything and you have nothing, you have nothing to prove technically on that stage, like that, that hasn't been proven in terms of your coaching or anything like that. Yeah. Not yeah. really. I like bodybuilding, man. Like I started yeah. as a bodybuilder. I'm always going to be a bodybuilder. I never even tried to compete in classic physique because I never cared. And it's a cool division. Like lots of dudes look crazy, but I've always just been a bodybuilder. So like my whole thing is I've just always wanted to be a better bodybuilder. So if, if I get to a point where I can't be a better bodybuilder anymore, then there's not really much point in being, you know, being competitive. But I would say one of those two routes is probably the most, the most likely scenario for me at this point. Yeah. Um, I, definitely I mean, I think you would win. I think you win your pro card masters just based off your side shots. I don't think anybody's going to compete with your side leg whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I mean, it'll, you probably it'll have hurt. one of the best side legs I've ever seen in terms of, yeah. I'm not going to pipe you up here, but I mean, it's just like my object, my, my kind of subjective <laughs> view over things. Yeah. So it'll, we'll see. It'll be one of those. Yeah. And then where do you see, um, I know you've been doing a lot of growing with IMH. Where do you see like that going with a lot of things like in the next like four, next like three to five years here for you? So a lot of, I've been, you know, like diversifying a lot of things, different education options and classes and all that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm really trying to just find, honestly, man, like I'm really trying to just continue to fine tune my roster to more and more people that I like. I just genuinely love working with. And it's it's not really it's not necessarily like they have to have a certain goal. It's just that I have a certain um, a certain vision in terms of what I want to do with people and how I like to conduct it and what my what my brand like stands for. You know? Yeah. I just want clients that align with that. So, mm-hmm. um, education thing will continue to expand. Hopefully like I'm going overseas and doing the seminar. And so I yep. probably tap in, I ha- I do have some European and Australian and some different places, uh, mentorship clients and stuff. So hopefully tap into that market a little bit more by getting yeah. over there. So that's another thing. And you know, I don't know, I don't know if I want to work 70 or 80 hours a week forever. So 
like you know figuring out ways to get more more return on investment with my with my time uh, yeah you do a lot of mentorship now so it's like like yeah I think that's it's, like a ton yeah it, it helps um and even just doing stuff outside of coaching man like there's a like people don't realize like there's a whole world of of stuff out there that you can do you know i'm doing my first my first house flip this year in real estate so oh you know look at that oh so i'm gonna that's something man like that's a passive that's kind of like a passive revenue stream and diversify like i don't know shit about it but my my dad's really into it and so we're gonna work on the you know I'm going to go into the, my first one with him and, and, and learn about it and do some stuff. I'm like, man, there's just a lot out there that you can do as an entrepreneur. And even within, like, even within the fitness space, as you grow, like coaching is not the only thing you can do, you know, it shouldn't, there's, I also think it shouldn't be the only thing that you do. No, I mean, I there's, there's so much, it's one way to burn so yourself out pretty quick. Yeah. And I've always. And one thing I've actually been trying to now kind of finish with this is yep. I've just been challenging myself to do stuff I'm kind of uncomfortable with. So like I, I naturally am a super routine and I will just put everything into that routine and focus on what I'm doing. But I've kind of avoided doing some things that I thought I wanted to do, but I was like a little nervous that they wouldn't work. So I'm just trying not to be afraid to try different stuff because like the mentorship, when I started it, there really wasn't any like anyone doing it that I'm aware of. Not many. Like, you know, back in 2017, 18, like there just wasn't. And so I'm like, I wanna try this. It was like getting the getting the continue education credits for the mentorship and doing stuff like that. I'm like, I'm just gonna try this. I'm gonna see what happens, see if they'll see if they'll accept it. I'm gonna try to go overseas and do a seminar. I'm gonna try to do a, this, you know get into real estate and do this stuff. Like I'm just challenging myself to do other things that I'm not normally super comfortable with. Cause I'm a very, I am like extremely safe. Yeah. If you've met, if you met Austin, you know where he lives and you know how he trains. Like it's really like, it's really in the middle of bumblefuck nowhere. And he's just like, he's got a barn guys. He's got a barn that he trains in. <laughs> so. So, it's absolutely brutal. One of some of my best sessions that I've ever had in that in that thing. Um, yeah, I think that's just a better way. That's just a good way to get better. Like as a human, I think that's like what we stand for here at the Noble Pursuit and what I'm building. Right, is just finding a way to become a better a better human. And like, it takes some time to really get to that point. Right, we're like, fuck. I kind of want to do these things. Like I've come to the point now where I'm good to good to do them and safe in a in a good position to actually try to do them. Um, I got one last question. This is going to okay. be a really interesting question because it's fairly, it's fairly off the charts. I, each guest I have gives a question to the next one. Um, okay. and I won't tell you who the guest was. You might be able to guess this based off like what their question is. Okay. Literally it's an odd question. He asked, what is the Pythagorean theorem? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> going back, going back. We're going back, we're going back to like sixth grade geometry. Oh, I don't even remember, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the answer. That's yeah. a good answer. Um, um, I know no, it, it's. I know that it's it's geometry, right? Yeah, yeah, is it that is. right? <laughs> like shapes. Yeah, um, it's, okay. it's like the hypotenuse or whatever. It's like the side times yeah, the it's side. Something, it's something to do. That. It's like it, I know it has to do with shapes or triangles <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> This is Sorry, why we I, do macro. 
This is why we're in what we're in. We do macros, guys. We don't do this stuff, okay? We calculate right, fats. Um, but so where can people find you? Um, if they want to just chat with you, I think you're really available. You have a ton of different places that people can learn from. So kind of just sure. see where people want to go and get more information from you and everything. Uh, the easiest place is either of my social medias, Facebook, Instagram. So just Austin Stout on Facebook. Um, Austin ST number eight on Instagram. The link tree is everything's pretty much my bio. So if you go to my bio, you'll have emails. So any inquiries you want, whether it's mentorship, classes, consults, coaching, that's all there. And then the link tree will have like clothing, my merch store, it'll have my YouTube channel, you know websites being rebuilt but my old websites on there so like all that stuff's there awesome so go follow austin if you guys did enjoy this episode um honestly we probably might i might get you on for number two so we can dive more into like that stuff we had mentioned at the end because i think you have cool. a lot more to share as like a person here um and i think that would be pretty cool i think i just wanted to get some information out there over what truly stops some people and i think those two things body wise really does because even though I said I would not go down the fitness realm, I think it's really important that you're in tune with your body in terms of stress and digestion. If you're in tune with that, then your body's actually going to work and you're going to become better. Um, so if you guys enjoyed this episode, tag Austin and I on your story. Um, go follow Austin. Go subscribe to the podcast on, on Spotify and YouTube. Um, go support your boy at Morphogen Nutrition using code SPADA. Do not use code DATA or four. Don't, <laughs> don't use that code at all. <laughs> no one knows who that is whatsoever. Um, go support your boy with that one. Um, and yeah, if you guys enjoyed this episode, definitely share us on your Instagram story. We really do appreciate it. Uh, so thank you guys for listening uh, to this episode of the Noble Pursuit Podcast.